If you have been joining us for these uh, messages in the Gospel of Luke, we have been in Luke since Christmas. And now we join our Lord as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus up to Jerusalem. And he begins his last week upon this earth. And what we call this passage is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. We start with Luke chapter 19. You follow along as I read verses 28 to 44. Luke 19 Starting at verse 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, loose it, And bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. When they brought him to Jesus and they threw their clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surrounding you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Father, we come in your presence today and pray that as we look at this passage of Scripture, as Jesus is entering the city of Jerusalem, offering himself as the King, the Messiah, and they turned him down. I pray that, Lord, today we would never turn away our Lord and exalt him as our own King. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's amazing. Uh, as I read those verses about Jesus praying and weeping over Jerusalem, I would imagine the same is going on with our Lord right now, today. People are lining the road to Jerusalem and rejoicing and celebrating the triumphal entry of Jesus. They wave palm branches to and fro and cry out with great joy, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For three years while Jesus was in his earthly ministry, whenever he would do a miracle, he would often say this, don't tell anyone, don't make it known. 
Yet here, as the folks were praising Jesus, and when the Pharisees told Jesus to tell them to stop, Jesus says, if they keep silent now, the very stones will cry out. This is the time when Jesus is offering himself as the Messiah. Well, let's join him on that road. And we're not going to hear the stones cry out, but we're going to hear three different cries in this passage of Scripture. First of all, we see the cry of the commander. Jesus is said in verse 28, And when he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. His teaching ministry uh, along the road is done. Now, it doesn't say that he says, follow me, but it does indicate that when Jesus, with all of the other disciples following, he was taking the lead. He was going up to Jerusalem. It says that he went ahead first. Now is the time that he was about to fulfill the reason why he came to this earth, to go up to Jerusalem. Last week, remember when he was talking to Zacchaeus, Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now is the time he's doing that. And basically he's saying, follow me on this greatest of all journeys, the greatest of all missions. So he's going up to Jerusalem. He says something else too. Go into the village. In, verse, uh, he, in these verses, Jesus asked two of his disciples to go into the village that they're close by, Bethphage and Bethany, and go and find a colt. Now, the colt here is not a horse. It's the child of a donkey. That's a young donkey is what he's asking them to go and into this city and find this. Matthew records that they brought the mother of the colt also, and Jesus would ride on the young donkey. Jesus must have made arrangements privately with them, or these people were believers who owned and they knew who the Lord was. Go into the city. That's a popular command from our Lord. You know, we also all often hear the Lord Jesus say, Come unto me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He often says, Come. But now he's saying, Go. We know of another time when Jesus said, Go. In Mark sixteen fifteen, he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We call that the Great Commission. And that command of our Lord is still echoing down through the centuries. Go. In 1786, William Carey, a shoemaker pastor from North Hampshire, was burdened by the needs of the world's people. He stood before a council of representatives at a ministerial meeting in Northampton, Massachusetts. He explained his burden to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ at the command of Jesus who said, go into all the world. But he was rebuked by an older pastor, Dr. Ryland, who said to him, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. Well, William Carey, of course, ignored their advice and followed his heart and the Bible And the rest, as they say, is history. 
William Carey has been called the father of modern missions. He initiated the modern missionary movement as we know it. He answered the call saying, go. Just like those two disciples. I wonder if God is calling you. If he is saying to you, I want to use you, go. Go to some field. Go to some people that need to hear the gospel. Well, the Lord's voice is crying out, go. Also, we see in this passage of scripture another phrase that I'd like to point out to you. The Lord has need of it. Well, the owner of the young donkey surrendered him because the Lord needed him. He gave up his donkey for the master's use. And all through the Bible, we find people giving up something and putting it in the hands of Jesus. Remember the little boy that uh, was at the feeding of the 5,000. He had, he had his lunch and he gave it up because the Lord needed it. Well, Zacchaeus, last week in our study, he gave up his money to help the poor. Peter surrendered his fishing boat for the master's use. But what about you? The Lord has need of you. What are you willing to surrender to the Lord because he needs it? So many Christians just love to come, worship the Lord, and enjoy. But what about serving him? World War I produced one of the most memorable images in American history. It was, it was later used as a U.S. Army recruiting poster that depicted a commanding Uncle Sam pointing his finger at the viewer, urging young men to enlist in the war effort, painting by noted illustrator James Montgomery Flagg. And the image first appeared in July 6th of 1960 on the cover of Leslie's Weekly Magazine. And later, the U.S. Army used that image for their recruiting posters when he says, Uncle Sam wants you. I wonder, the Lord and the ministry here at Peace River has need of you. We need people to serve. People to serve in our nursing home ministry, our Awana ministry, bringing candy and water and shoeboxes and people to serve in the choir and people to serve in the lamp ministry, our outreach missions of 1031, our children, our youth, our visitation. I tell you, outside of salvation, the greatest joy you will ever have is when you serve him in some capacity. The Lord has need of you, my friend. Will you answer that call? Well, the first cry, we hear the cry of the commander, the Lord Jesus. And now let's listen to the cry of the crowd in verses 36 to 39. The first cries we hear are cries of joyous praise, verse 36. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. And then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Matthew records, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed as he comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They were loud praises along that road into Jerusalem with multitudes praising the Lord and lifting up their voices and laying the palm branches in the road. 
I tell you, uh, football season is coming upon us. And sometimes those, if you've ever been in a football stadium and hear the roar of that, it is deafening. Someone told me that the, the highest recorded uh, sound is in Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, uh, Missouri. And at, especially when they won the Super Bowl last year, it, 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 that Arrowhead Stadium is the loudest sound decibel in, at all. Now, I don't know how loud those praises were that lined the, the, the way to Jerusalem, but there was genuine praises from that crowd that fulfilled prophecy because in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly. O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. The king came on a donkey. Usually when kings came into a city returning from battle, they would ride a white horse signifying their military prowess. And they would also bring some of the captive kings and examples of their trophies of their plunder that they brought into the city. And they would come as military heroes. Well, Jesus came lowly. He came into the city offering peace, offering salvation to those. So the first cry of the crowd that we hear was some was definite joyous celebration. But I believe also the shouts of joyous celebration were mixed with shallow emotionalism. They just got caught up in the moment. The cry from the crowd contained some who were genuinely joyful, I'm sure, his own disciples. But many would have to be identified with shallow emotionalism, caught up with the cheering, like at a, a music concert. They were fans of Jesus, but they were not followers of Jesus. You know, I tell you, the baseball playoff season has started, and already my team was out in two games. <laughs> Tampa Bay Rays, they're down, <laughs> they're down. And maybe you still have a, a, a team that you're cheering for that's still in there, but, you know, I don't think most of us would die for our team or anything. We, we might, uh, now, unless you're in South Bend, Indiana, uh, Notre Dame is there, and some people are very, very faithful fans of them. But, I see that there is a lot of people just caught up in the emotion, and I see that with this crowd. I see something else with this crowd. Another cry from the crowd, would, what I would like to call that prosperity theology. Hosanna means Lord save us. So what were they asking the Lord say, to save them from? Well, many were hoping for Jesus to save them from Roman domination and physical want. This problem stalked Jesus all through his ministries. The Jews were looking for a Messiah, and they wanted the one who would conquer and reign, who would come in military power and to throw off the brutal yoke of Rome, establish a kingdom of justice and righteousness. God's chosen people would have special favor in that kingdom, but Jesus 
did not come at that time to conquer. Jesus came not to conquer Rome, but to conquer sin and death. He didn't come to make war with Rome, but to make peace with God for men. Many followed Jesus because of the loaves and the fishes, what he could do for them. You know what? I see this same mentality spreading throughout professing Christendom, the health and the wealth gospel, the feel-good type of spirituality. Jesus can make your life better. People want a king on their own terms A Jesus that will give them everything that they want. Like having an Aladdin's lamp with three wishes. (laughs) Your own personal genie. Doesn't work that way. Salvation is not something that you can get health and wealth. I see that in that crowd. There was something else, uh, another voice in the crowd that we hear. And that's the voice of antagonism. Listen in Luke 19, verse 39. You, you got this idea of all the, all the crowd is cheering Jesus. Welcome. You are the Messiah. You are the one we've been waiting for. And all of that. And then if some of the Pharisees were in the crowd. And they said, they called out from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them not to get carried away with this Messiah business. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these would keep silence, the stones would cry out. Because it was the fulfillment of prophecy. It had to be said, the Messiah is coming because it was a genuine offer of Jesus being their Messiah. The Pharisees opposed Jesus. They were jealous of his popularity Because it threatened their control over the religious Jews. And since that day, the work of Christ has always been opposed. There's still those in the crowd that deny that Jesus is the Savior. He's the only way to heaven. Well, we've seen the cry of the commander, the cry of the crowd. And the third cry we hear is in verse 40 to 44, and that's the cry of the Christ. Notice that he was fulfilling prophecy. The believers there in the crowd quoted Psalm 118, verse 26, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We've been blessed you from the house of the Lord from a messianic psalm of praise. The Pharisees understood the meaning of what they were saying, and that's why he told Jesus to rebuke his followers so they would stop calling him Messiah, stop calling him King of the Jews. Jesus responded that there must be proclamation that he is the Messiah. Messiah publicly presented himself to the nation, and God desired that this fact be acknowledged by the crowd. But we hear... The Christ also stop as he is there overlooking the city of Jerusalem. He comes to that point. And I don't know if anybody else saw him. Evidently, the, the scriptures do record what happened. But he weeps for the city of Jerusalem. Verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Saying, if you had known, even, in, even you, 
Jerusalem, especially in this your day, the things that would make for your peace. If you only knew what I came here to do. But now they're hidden from your eyes. Of course, Jesus knew that they would not receive him. Jesus knew that they would crucify him. He knew he would die on the cross. He knew that the Jews would turn away from him. Verse 43, For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surrounding you, and close you in on every side. Boy, it sounds like the news, doesn't it? And level you and your children within you to the ground. This is Jesus saying, And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus wept for Jerusalem because they missed their opportunity. They would let this day pass them by and Jesus weeps for those who are lost. We too must be burdened for those that are outside the family of God. As Jesus wept for a whole city, we need to weep. We need to be burdened for those that we know, those that we come in contact with who are not saved, our family members, our children or grandchildren, our coworkers, people that we meet, people that we work with, people that we go to a certain club with, and we burden for them. Eugene M. Harrison puts it very well in this poem. Oh, give me, Lord, thy love for souls, for lost and wandering sheep, that I may see the multitudes and weep as thou didst weep. Help me to see the tragic plight of souls far off in sin. Help me to love, to pray and go, to bring the wandering in. From off the altar of thy heart, take thou some flaming coals to touch my life and give me, Lord, a heart that's hot for souls. O fire of love, O flame divine, make thy abode in me. Burn in my heart, burn evermore, till I burn out for thee. Our relatives, our friends, our town, we need to have the kind of burden that Jesus had. I have a quote from Charles Spurgeon in my uh, office. I put it, uh, taped it to my refrigerator there, and it simply says this. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and not let one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Eminent Calvinist Charles Spurgeon writes about his burden, his love for the lost. Jesus is heard weeping for the city but also we hear another thing from his lips. A pronouncement of judgment. The opportunity is past. The judgment would soon come. Jesus showed compassion on Jerusalem, but he also foretold the days that would come when the city of Jerusalem would lie in ruins. Jesus rejected Jerusalem because Jerusalem rejected him. He wept over the city because its people did not understand the significance of what was going on in that day, that 
National acceptance of him on that day would bring peace because the people did not recognize the time of God's coming to him. The city would be totally destroyed. The Romans besieged and destroyed Jerusalem in the war of A.D. 66 to 70, roughly 40 years after Jesus spoke these words. Jesus began his last week riding into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. May that never happen to you and I. Jesus comes to us today, lowly offering us peace, offering us salvation, offering us forgiveness and everlasting joy. Will you receive him as your king? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for our Lord, our king. So many leaders of the day are not being respected or not being honored and even using vulgarity to describe them. But we, as children of our king, praise him, worship him, exalt him. I pray, Father, this morning, if there's one here that has never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and King, he's coming, offering himself to them today, I pray that they would not turn him away, but open their heart and receive the Lord as their Savior. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.